And we are back on another edition of the Falcons Audible presented by AT&T. I'm Derek Rackley. I'll be your host helping steer this ship for the next 20 to 25 minutes or so. We'll see how talkative the guys are today. That'll dictate how long we're going to go. Speaking of my guys, DJ Shockley, Dave Archer with me as always. Before I get there, um, mind-blowing takes and opinions. Let me give you a quick rundown of what we're going to talk about. Some developments in the Falcons GM search. We'll talk about who that is and the potential fit, even though it's very early on in that process. We will go back and talk about the Falcons game from the past weekend against the Saints at home. And we will talk a little bit more specifically about the offense and what the guys think is going on, why there's some struggles there. We'll kind of expand things and we'll talk a little bit about the Pro Bowl. And are you sipping on the Kool-Aid of the Falcons Pro Bowl representative. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And then there was a crazy finish in the Raiders-Jets game. So I want to get the guys' take on that and what they feel like they would have done differently had they put on their defensive coordinator cap in that game because they probably would have had a better call on and give their team a chance to win that game. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. So let's get to it right now. That's These are my guys, Dave, Sh- Dave Archer, DJ Shockley. I might re- rename you guys. I might give you guys a nickname and call you guys like uh, like uh, Arch Sleep. No, no. Um, <laughs> Shocker? Shot? No. I'm going to think about that, guys. I'll think about it. Shocking Archer. Shocking Archer. Not shocking all, but shocking Archer. I I like it. You just got to (laughs) draw it out a little bit. That's all right. We're in the South. You know, that just happens naturally. You draw things out. So, Arch, let me start with you. Let's talk a little bit about the rumors um, that are coming out and the reports. Jeff Schultz from The Athletic has reported that the Falcons are reportedly interested in a current analyst on TV right now. That's Lewis Riddick, who's with ESPN currently on the Monday Night Football crew and has spent some time in the personnel departments of the Eagles and the Washington football team. So, Dave, let me get your kind of quick take on this one, what your thoughts were when you heard his name surface. Well, I know Lewis really well. He and I were both teammates on the World League team. We won the World League Championship together. He was a box safety on that team. And an outstanding player, went on to play in the National Football League for a few teams, uh, but he was a really good player for us. But he was typified the box safety. He's a tough guy. He he loves the tough guy mentality. Anytime you hear him describe a game, that comes out in him. He's a guy that wants guys that want want to be play disciplined, play tough, lay it on the line for their team. Uh, that's the way he was as a teammate. He was a good teammate, good dude. Um, but he is a very serious guy. I, and uh, I think that comes across his broadcast as well. It came across as a teammate. Too. He was he was very serious about his opportunity there in the World League to get himself into the National Football League, as we all were. But um, certainly that came across as a very a guy that wasn't he was there to be a good teammate, but he also was there for to do a job. And I think that that's what he's going to bring if he gets an opportunity. He's certainly been looking for a GM opportunity. Like you said, he's been player personnel. He's been a player personnel director. So that next step in the personnel process is that general manager job. And I think it's something – and we've seen guys come from the broadcast booth to get it done before, right? Lynch has done it. Uh, We've seen Mike Mayock do it. Um, So there is some validity. And he's been around the draft a good bit in his broadcast duties to where he's putting notebooks together, evaluating talent and those type of things along the personnel, the side of it. So he's a good dude. I can tell you, I know him really well. 
Yeah, DJ, you know, Arch kind of talked about it. He, he was actually a draft pick of the San Francisco 49ers back in 1991. He was a ninth round draft pick back when they had that many rounds and um, actually interviewed with the San Francisco 49ers for their GM vacancy a few years back before Lynch ended up getting it. So he's been in this process before. He's been vocal about the fact that he is he would be very interested in taking the right fit. And DJ, just from what you know, what you've seen out of, out of him, I know you know, Arch makes a great point. He is a very intense analyst and in how he gets things across on television. Do you feel like maybe that would translate well for him as a personnel director or potential general manager? Uh, absolutely. Cause I think us as former players understand the attention to detail that you have to have as a player. And then now you see him have that same attention to detail in the analyst box. And those are things that, you know, won't go by the wayside. You know, he can evaluate talent, uh, obviously, Arch and you, both of you guys have talked about him being in the personnel department, but then he also he's played ball. He's been around guys. He understands systems. He understands what kind of guys fit in certain cultures. So uh, the fact that he's been around the game this long and he's been on three, four different sides of uh, the game, I think bodes well for him and it bodes well for uh, if he gets that opportunity to become a GM. And I love the fact that he's serious. I love the fact that Arch mentioned that mentality that he has because at the end of the day, that's what you need. I mean, a lot of people want guys who are friendly, who want to, you know, be nice to everybody. At the end of the day, you want guys who are going to win games and who are going to be about their business. And Lewis Riddick seems like a guy who is about his business, regardless of whatever he's doing or whatever situation he's been in. He's been that guy to hold his own. Yeah, not necessarily like this is a trend that is going to continue, but as Dave mentioned, there has been somewhat of a trend of former players going from the broadcast booth into this leadership position as a candidate uh, and, and running a franchise from the personnel side. So we'll see if there's any legs, any traction to this as time continues. But again, that's been recently reported, and we'll keep our eyes on that if he ends up surfacing as a, a real potential candidate to take over the personnel department for the Atlanta Falcons. So speaking of the Atlanta Falcons, let's go back and visit the game from this past weekend of course the Falcons come up short to the Saints at home just were not able to put enough points on the board DJ I want to start right with you let's talk a little bit about the offense because I mentioned a couple of weeks ago I believe it was during the podcast following the first Saints game that the offense has been too much of a roller coaster up and down you see a performance like the previous week against the Raiders they put a bunch of points up on the board and then it seems like they're scratching they're clawing they're grinding and they're getting off the field too early, especially on third down. What are you seeing offensively that's slowing down Atlanta and preventing them from putting more points on the board? Rack, obviously I think there are a couple of things. Uh, this team has always been good from 20 to 20. I thought we've always been able to move the football and you struggle once you got into the red zone. Obviously uh, with good, how good, I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but how good Young Way Koo has been uh, is something part of the story. But when you get inside the red zone, you got to be able to score points. And then the other part of it is you haven't been running the football as effective. And we talked about this last couple of weeks is when you're not able to have that threat of the run game, your play action game, the boots, all the kind of stuff that comes off of it, it's not as effective. And then you, you cultivate that with, okay, now you got to throw the ball a little bit longer. And now in his last ball game, you weren't sacked as many times as you were in the previous ball game, but Matt was hit almost every single play. And every time he dropped back, there was a hurry. There was a, a situation where you had to get the football out. And I still thought there were times where the receivers on the outside could have helped him out and won a little bit better. And the Saints came in with that two-man coverage, and they played a lot of that uh, trying to take away the in-breaking routes. I know we hit some of it. But sometimes if you watch some of the releases, you watch some of the stuff at the line of scrimmage, they're trying to create that space, but it's taking so long. 
And when you're taking so long, number two, you have to hold on to the football a little bit more. And now I, you have some, some tough situations. So uh, first and second down has to be better. Run game, first and second down has to be better because we were in a lot of third and seven, eight plus, and that's not where you want to be versus a defense that's that good. Arch, DJ brings out a couple of great points that, that I'll kind of piggyback on, and then I'll let you take it whatever direction that you see the most fitting is the run game was struggling. And I know that Todd Gurley has not been healthy throughout the course of this season, but I think he's averaging 3.6 yards per carry this year, and he just doesn't look like he has any burst for the running game. I know they've been rotating different guys through. The, the, the seven-yard loss toward the end of the game on third down was a very telling run to me. Granted, that not necessarily all his fault, but also the red zone is DJ touchdown. 29th in the NFL scoring touchdowns just 50% of the time right now they're not able to punch the ball into the end zone Dave what are you seeing offensively that's holding this team and this offense back well like Shock said I think 20 to 20 you're pretty good you know you're I think you're fifth in the league and throwing the football which has kind of always been where we have our bread uh, is buttered with throwing the ball and you sprinkle the run game in as much as we want to say hey power running team or we're going to do everything off the power running game we can't do that guys that's not who we are we don't come off the ball and mash anybody you know so you want to sprinkle the run game so how can you accentuate you know the passing game with kind of some semblance of running game that means screen game that means quick passing that means all the hands of the quarterback and that means carrying your 20 to 20 offense into the red zone see if you're moving the ball 20 to 20 which Atlanta has done for the most part of the year save the last couple weeks really this is a team that doesn't do the same things down 20 to 20. And I think that that's where you got to look to do. You got to have your RPO package in the game plan in the, in the red zone. I think Dirk's trying to do some of that. There's also the idea that, you know, when you get down there, things get constricted. So the it's paramount that you make the play. If it's there, guys are missing plays. Balls are being dropped. We're missing blocks. Uh, Ryan's missing people. Uh, so it's not one person where you put your finger on that and say, okay, that fixes it. That's not the way it is. And you're missing some calls too. There's no question about that. But I mean, you can go back to this last game where you fought your your rear ends off to stay in the football game and you make a decision to run the ball on second and eight or second and two, which I loved. That was a perfect call. Make Sean Payton burn timeouts. And the running back makes a, a poor decision to dance in the backfield, gets tackled for no gain. And then, of course, the second the second run is just mind-boggling why I decided to do that. But uh, So it's guys making mistakes. It's a bad call here or there. It's guys not doing their job. I mean, it's not one thing that prevents you from scoring touchdowns. You know, and guys, we can probably relate to this in some way, shape, or form throughout our playing careers. And, you know, I'm not afraid to mention it, that when I started with Atlanta, we were a very average to below average team that lost a lot, and it happens throughout the course of a season. It's difficult to win in the National Football League. These former players will tell you about it, but you're right, Dave. It just seems like when you are a four and eight type team, these are the type of things that happen. You drop a pass, you bounce a run that you shouldn't bounce. There's a breakdown in protection. He makes a great point, Shock. It's you can't necessarily put your finger on one thing because DJ, if you or Dave or I was able to sit here and say, this is what Atlanta needs to do better, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. We'd be on a coaching <laughs> staff probably making a whole lot more money, but that's not the case. So it is like a compounding effect of things happening over and over. And it's not just, you can't say it's Matt Ryan, it's Todd Gurley, it's the offensive line. It's a number of different things. Yeah, it's a collective thing. And I think that's what makes football so great because it's 
a game that you need all 11 guys. And we, we, we hear the cliche things say all the time. We need 11 guys playing on the same page, doing the same things. And in this game, it's the most important because you need a collective group of guys understanding where each guy fits in that system. And then you have to execute it. The coaches can put you in position, but you have to execute those spots when they're given. And sometimes when you have one or two guys and for the Falcons stance, it's been scenarios where you had three or four guys who have not been on the same page and ultimately it affects the outcome. Five of 13 on third down for the Falcons and more specifically third and seven plus the long situations, if you will, just two for seven for Atlanta. Granted, it's a difficult situation. You got to give some credit to New Orleans. I think they got a pretty good defense. They always come into the game with a pretty good game plan going up against the uh, Atlanta offense, but at the end of the day, just not able to get it done. So uh, unfortunately, Matt Ryan has not played well over the last three weeks. He's completing just 52% of his passes. And again, not necessarily all on his shoulders, but when you're the starting quarterback, when you're a former MVP and you get paid the amount of money that you do, a lot of it ends up coming back on your shoulders. Well, one of the bright spots has been the Pro Bowl candidate for the Atlanta Falcons, and it's not necessarily your most likely one, but DJ, um, I just wanted to ask you a question. Are you drinking the Kool-Aid on the Falcons <laughs> Pro Bowl potential representative? <laughs> Well, depends on how much sugar in this Kool-Aid. And uh, <laughs> back in the day, I used to have a lot of sugar in my Kool-Aid. Pour uh, it in there. <laughs> so uh, uh, I'm buying it, but I'm also uh, a little taken back from it because of what it means. Uh, obviously, it's great for Young Wayku. Obviously, it's great for the things that he's doing this season. And he's been a reliable guy. And that's something that I think Falcons fans can hang their hat on for the last, I don't know how many odd years. You've had a field goal kicker. You've had an extra point guy who delivers for you in, in clutch moments, and Youngway's been that guy. But when he leads the league in points, that means, obviously, you're not scoring touchdowns. We would rather him kick extra points. So it's kind of a give and take. Yeah, you're happy for Youngway, cool, but also you wish you had seven on the board instead of six because that means possibly you would probably be winning more ball games because you're scoring more points. Yeah, 32 of 33 <laughs> on field goals this year. And you're right, DJ, you're probably wishing that that was 32 of 33 extra points or 52 of 53 extra points. Um, but Arch, I mean, the guy has been has been basically automatic this year. I mean, he's technically third in the league in field goals, but the two guys that are ahead of him, Mason Crosby and Jason Myers, have cooked, have kicked half the amount of field goals that he has. 97% this season. He's had a phenomenal year he's been kind of battling through some issues as well so you know Dave when I was a kid the, the, the Kool-Aid packet was really small you tore it off you put it in and it was a whole cup of sugar I mean that's how you I don't know how they do it now I mean, sure. maybe it comes but but I mean gotta give the guy credit I mean his whole cup of sugar he's been delivering all season yeah, yeah. hey Kool-Aid you want him just burst through the door in a big red outfit right I mean no question about it i mean we just got through talking about guys there you go you guys are wearing the red today you got the kool-aid on and why not i'm drinking the kool-aid and, and we just got through talking about guys doing their job right catch the football block your guy read it out and throw it to the right dude run through the hole when it's there run create your own hole and get two yards for us to get a first down right there that's doing your job okay those are things that we take for granted here's a guy kicking okay his job, kick it through the big yellow things at the end of the field. Kick it. Well, Young Way, that's what Young Way Koo's doing. He's doing his job. So I, 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 he deserves to go to the Pro Bowl. If this is what he continues on his path, he's got four more games to ring up some more numbers. And let's hope we score some more touchdowns, certainly to give us a chance to win this 
final quarter against a couple of divisional opponents and a couple AFC teams. But let's hope Young Waiku gets in there. He gets he's got the bird on the side of his head, and and he's a guy representing the team. The only guy that gets in from the football team, but he's <laughs> earned the right to be there because yep. he's doing his job and he's doing his job at the highest possible level. Yeah, and guys, you know, I think it's we got we got to cap this off by mentioning the fact that this is not just your average 32-yard field goal. He's 7 for 7 from 50 yards out this year. Gosh, so when yeah. he's in the most difficult situations, he has been absolutely money. The 7 for 7 is by far the best record, the best conversion rate from 50 plus yards in the NFC this year. Hey, so, right, right. Quick yes, question. Yes. So when you have a a kicker who is playing at the level that Youngwick is playing and he gets a chance to go to the Pro Bowl. Obviously, he does not do this by himself. Does the snapper, does the holder, does the guys who make that whole thing work go with it? I mean, I would like to think that, especially with the money <laughs> in the 2020, no. that young way Koo will spring to bring his holder and snapper with him uh, <laughs> when he goes to, to the pro bowl. Now I will tell you that when I was playing, I did not have a kicker or punter that went to the pro bowl, but my, my buddy, Algie Crumpler went to the pro bowl in the tight end room as I was also a backup tight end. And he did bring me along with him to go to one of his pro bowls. And that was in Hawaii, by the way. Uh, so that's always, nice. Always nice. A nice little gift, if you will, but he was one of my good buds still keep in touch with him to this day. And he was a yeah. phenomenal tight end, but yes, I like wow. it. DJ lobby for it. Bring no the doubt, holder man. and the snapper no with them. It's Correct the whole if, operation. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that the pro bowls happening in his backyard this year, isn't it? I don't think <laughs> I pro think bowl. Right. So he, Not he can invite him over for a barbecue. Hey, young way, make sure you get Josh Harris and Hoffrichter over for a barbecue at your place to there celebrate. The pro bowl. <laughs> and let's hope yes, he gets right. a chance to do that. But uh, there's no question the battery, that makes that happen. I had, a, I had an opportunity to, to work in my career as a holder for our kicker, Mick Luckhurst, when I was here in Atlanta. And Mick, uh, at one time, had an NFL record 20 consecutive kicks in a row. At that time, that was an NFL record uh, working while I was as a holder. We had a guy named Eric Sanders who could snap the ball back just like Rackley used to. I didn't even have to move the ball. I just caught it and set it down because the threads are straight out every time. Didn't have to move. That's the way Rack operated, too, by the way, Shock. I don't know if no doubt. you know no that. Doubt. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, that's you just we're just kind of a we're just a conduit. We're kind of like a, a piece of metal <laughs> or a, a piece of copper that just connects the two pieces of electricity going together, yeah, the kicker yeah. and the snapper. Right. Right. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the way rack spot. operator. Good snapper. Yeah, you just need a holder that can catch the football, which, by the way, is a little tease. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, just catching the football at that position <laughs> in a moment. Uh, but first, let's talk a little bit about this crazy Raiders-Jets game. Now, you're talking about three guys that basically spent their career on offense or on special teams that are that are working with you on this podcast. But I want you guys to put on your defensive coordinator cap because, Dave, you've got a cap on right now, the Falcons lid. And if, you are, um, if you've got a four-point lead – and the other team has got a desperation play um, to get into the end zone. Are you going to dial up a zero blitz with a corner <laughs> going up against one of the fastest receivers in the NFL? Just, just, just humor me for a moment. Zero coverage. The only thing that can do is an over-the-top throw. And, oh, by the way, i got a rookie corner out there that I'm going to put on rugs. I mean, they just run right by. It's, just, it's, it's arguably one of the dumbest plays I've ever there's no question about it, but why not? The Jets – I when I saw this, guys, I said the Jets are literally trying to lose this game because they <laughs> want to maintain the number one pick. That was my thought. 
They're trying to lose the game. That's why they called it. But you got one of the fastest guys in the National Football League and rugs going by your guy on a, on a deep route on just a go, not even a Hail Mary, just a go route. So just incredible. Most teams build the picket line, right, guys, on about the 10-yard yeah. line, five-yard line. Say, okay, throw it, and we'll have a bunch of guys over there, and we'll knock the ball down. Well, Right, and the, the, the terrible part about this is you bring cover zero. Cover zero means they have more guys than you can block. And at yeah. the end of the day, when you watch the end of the play, Derek Carr is still standing. Nobody even hit him. He just Hold up. up Hold in the up. pocket. Not only is he still standing, he was able to step into his throw. Come I on. Mean, how do you how do, you do that? How do you not even get home? You go cover zero. You can't even get home, let alone uh -oh. stop him I mean, from getting in the end zone. Guys, Derek Carr came out after the game with a quote that said he couldn't believe that they were bringing zero out, zero blitz. He was like almost salivating. And then, guys, it wasn't even, it was like a layup, right? Like we yeah. talk about basketball analogies all the time. Yeah. Like he threw the ball and Ruggs was five yards past the defense and he just <laughs> catches it on the run and walks he into double the double moved. Like you can bring a double move on the guy. That's how much time he had racking. He's talking about bringing more people than they can block. They double moved the corner, and he still was standing when he threw the football. And here's the other thing. If you bring in everybody, from a quarterback standpoint, I know, Art, you've been here before. When you walk up to the line of scrimmage, and you know already it's cover zero. You know they're coming with this blitz, and you know you got a fast dude on the outside. You cannot snap the ball fast enough. Like you're almost about to get a penalty because you're like, I know they're not gonna stay in. I know they're not gonna stay in this. And they snapped the football. <laughs> Uh, so that was obviously a just a horrible way to go down. So, Arch, let me ask you a question here. I mean, this was pretty bad, but, like, what's some of the yeah. worst or the worst way you've seen a team lose a game before? Well, I'll give you a couple, and I'm not going to mention the Todd Gurley touchdown against the Lions. We'll run past that one. Let's forget that one. That was a bad way to lose a football game there, too. I'm not too, mentioning right it. Here you mentioned it. Our own Atlanta Falcons. Okay, I'll give you it, two. One – one way back in the day, how about the immaculate reception? How would you like to lose a game the way Franco Harris? I was a huge Raider fan. I'm sitting there watching the game live. Raiders are leading 7-6 after Kenny Stabler just ran 40 yards for a touchdown. So on fourth down, Terry Bradshaw scrambles around and throws one right down the middle that ricochets off of a defender's shoulder pad. And somehow Franco Harris catches it a foot above the ground and runs 60 yards for a touchdown to beat the Raiders in the playoffs. By the way, it was a playoff loss, the Immaculate Reception. But I'll go one worse than that one. Again, it happened to our own Atlanta Falcons. And it happened to our Super Bowl team in 2016. The Falcons are playing the Kansas City Chiefs right here in Atlanta. Eric Berry back home after, you know, all the things he'd been through as a, as a you know, cancer patient, all that kind of stuff, playing safety for the Kansas City Chiefs. Atlanta scores to take the lead in the final moments of the game, final couple of minutes of the game, 28-27, Atlanta leads. So they're going to go ahead and go for two to make sure it's a three-point bulge. Ryan throws a pick, and Barry returns it for a two-point conversion, and Kansas City wins 29-28. Are you kidding me? Oh. Now Atlanta writes the ship and wins the last four, goes to the playoffs, goes to the Super Bowl. But I, I, I'm sitting there stunned. What? No, we can't lose this game. We just were ahead. You know, how does that happen? But that was one of the worst losses I've ever seen. Eric Berry's return here of a two-point conversion to beat Atlanta 29-28.
mm. DJ, sometimes you just can't script this stuff. What do you think? What's no. somebody, what's one of your worst losses you've seen? I talked about this probably a couple of weeks ago. It was with the high school team where uh, it's like 10 <laughs> seconds to go in the ball game and it's fourth down and the kid takes a knee and then the other team comes out and kicks the field goal and walks off and win when all you had to do was waste the last 10 seconds, but he takes the knee on fourth down. They get the football, they kick it, and I think they might have won like a state championship or something off of it, but it was crazy <laughs> that they told the kid to take a knee. I don't know if they told him to take a knee or let the tire run out, but either way, fourth down, he takes a knee, they get the ball back, kick off, out of here. Hey, uh, coach, when you, when you take a knee on fourth down, the clock stops, okay? Yeah, so it's no not, doubt. It's not going to just run out on you. Uh, they, You know, usually they call that victory formation. It's not supposed to be stunning, heartbreaking <laughs> loss. Oh, no, it was a victory formation. I had the other team. Yeah, it was to give the other team the victory. <laughs> All right, I'll give you guys mine here as a uh, a little bit of a pop quiz. And, and I'm going to – the first person to, like, raise their hand on this one, I'll, I'll call on you. So you've got a team that's winning by one point. you got another team. Team that is driving down with a chance to win the game on a 19-yard field goal. And all they have to do is catch the snap, put it down, put it through the uprights from 19 yards out, and they end up winning a playoff game on the road. But the snap is dropped, and the guy tries to make a play, and they end up losing the game. DJ, Romo. you're the first one there. Romo. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Going Romo. <laughs> Seattle goes to the left side. Remember, oh, that oh, oh, you're right. It was. I was on that Seattle Seahawks team, and you talk about being on the sidelines, can't make this stuff up. Like, oh, man. Times in the NFL, like, when you kind of just know what the outcome mm-hmm. is going to be. And even though, like, you know, it was it was a Seattle day, but it was probably like 40 degrees. It wasn't like a sideways rain or anything like that. And you're thinking, you know, 19-yard chip shot this game is over. I think Grammatica had made one from 50 yards earlier in the game, right? So we're standing on the sidelines, and all of a sudden, Romo drops it, and he tries to pick it up. And I see Jordan Babineau come around the side. He gets him down on the ground. And we all just looked at each other like, can you believe what just happened? And the Seattle Seahawks, we ended up winning that game. So that was actually – we were on the good side of that one. For for a lot of Dallas Cowboys fans, that might be one of the worst losses that they've ever had in franchise history. Guys, this was a a fun one, even though the Falcons coming off a loss. I always enjoy getting into some of these moments where we can story tell, we can have a little bit of fun, because at the end of the day, we got to have some fun with this one. No doubt. All right, uh, Falcons are traveling to face the L.A. Chargers after this, uh, our next week here. And so let's see if they're able to, to right the ship. And, and, you know, we talked about it earlier, guys. Let's see if the uh, the Falcons offense uh, shows up and uh, puts a much better performance out on the field. All right, real quick before we go, DJ, give me your um, estimate on what you think the score is going to be in the Falcons game next weekend against the Chargers. Well, I hope it's similar to what the Chargers had going on last week where they put up a goose egg <laughs> That would be awesome, but I'm sure that probably won't happen. Uh, but I'm going to go – I want you to play good on the road going out to the West Coast, man. I like this game to be 31 31- to 23 for the Falcons. All right, Dave, what do you got? 31-23. It's on video, by the way. Dave, what do you got? I'm I'm, I'm going to go Atlanta kind of gets their offense going a little bit. I think the defense continues to play well. I think the defense really did a good job of holding on the rope in the Saint game to give you a chance to win at the end. Didn't happen, but they gave you a chance. Uh, Saints were held to two for eight on third down in the second half. So I'm going to go 24-20. It's the Falcon Ooh. defense is able to – 
keep Justin Herbert under wraps, and uh, maybe there's some lingering effect of what the Patriots did to him, hopefully. <laughs> maybe. Exactly. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> definitely hoping that there's a little bit of a hangover there. I'm going to go 23-10 Falcons, and Ooh. the reason why I'm doing that is that they're going to score two touchdowns, but our boy Kool-Aid Young is going to go for three more field goals in this one to boost his Pro Bowl chances. Hold that sugar, we are, We're rocking that Kool-Aid Hold the sugar today. in, Kool. Pour the sugar Yo. in it. All right, folks. As a kicker, has a kicker ever had crowd had the crowd going? You know, we we always get those little chants. Coo! I don't think kickers yeah. ever had that. If we can yeah, get fans back in the crowd, exactly. Coo! <laughs> Why not? Hey, come on with it. What else does he got to do to get the chant? Um, so hey, maybe we'll sign off the show with it here today. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Falcons Audible presented by AT&T. We'll be back after this one. Uh, after the Falcons end up playing the Chargers, I'm gonna let DJ and Arch take us away with their coup chant. Go ahead, get get it, fellas. Get it, fellas. See you next week, everybody. <laughs> You're listening to Falcons Audible presented by AT&T.